Hello and welcome back to Sinner's Take, another Catholic Guys podcast of which we are the worst. I'm Bobby, host and content director here at the Sinner's Take podcast, here with his eminence, Eddie, last name redacted. Always a pleasure to be with you. How are the kids? Oh, they're great. They're great. Thank you for asking. Uh, so I'm here with Alec, too. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to Sinner's Take. The topic we're going to look at today is why was Mary always barefoot? And this goes back to my friend, Chelsea. Shout out to Chelsea. Shout out to Chelsea. You know who you are. Who many years ago pointed out to me, she's like, have you ever noticed that Mary is always barefoot in statues, in sacred art? I was thinking about the passion too. Like, I don't know if her feet are ever shown in that movie. I think it's always under like her robe. Like you don't ever see like sandals on her feet, but like it was this like, what are you talking about? And then you start thinking about it. And then you just start noticing in every Catholic church and wherever you go, I, I don't think I've ever seen Mary wear shoes. There's, uh, I think, something intentional to draw out of that theologically. But your guys' takes on that, first of all. Stupid question. I had never, when you texted me, said that, this, that you wanted to talk about this, I had never, that never even crossed my mind. But yeah, absolutely. She's never, she's always barefoot. There is something profound to that, I think. I like was reflecting on it and never crossed my mind, but. I haven't seen all of, all of Our Lady images. She's always barefoot, standing on either Satan or the world. Right. Kicking butt. Yeah. <laughs> Taking names. Just a nice barefooted kick to the head of Satan. You can see a little roundhouse kick. Mary's, Mary's little bare feet. You haven't seen that image yet? It's nice. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> so I think that and it was, I remember when I was talking with my friend about it, it was a short jump to like understanding her, her faith like a child like the childlike faith of a kid that just runs around barefoot everywhere in the backyard, doesn't have a care in the world, could care less about shoes, let alone putting shoes on the right foot, which kids never do. Like my one kid for the, like you think 50% chance she'll put the shoes on the right feet. No, it hundred out of hundred times. You can, you can, you can place that. Yeah. She's just spiting me. She's, (laughs) she does like prank people. She refused to call Gerardo by his real name. Yep. Like she would roast him. It was amazing. She was like three. She called him Geppetto. (laughs) (laughs) And as soon as he would leave, he'd be like, the door would close and he'd be, she'd be like, bye Gerardo. (laughs) (laughs) Sinister, man. I know. I, it was delightful. So anyway. Uh, so much for not a Catholic topic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the I had texted Eddie. I said as well, like, let's do something not Catholic. Like, and I was thinking like Avengers. Let's talk about Avengers. We haven't done that yet. Yeah. Just not something like overtly Catholic, <laughs> just something more cultural or whatever. And then the first thought was like, ooh, let's do the Virgin Mary and her childlike faith. I'm like, well, I, I, I failed at that. That, <laughs> that went completely the opposite <laughs> direction. Pretty much as far from as it can be. Yeah. But here we are. And I think I wanted to just riff on that with you guys the the struggles of having faith like a child it's not childish i think as faith sometimes gets portrayed as we just believe because god said so and the bible says so it's like no it's a a mature questioning faith can be childlike but there's a struggle in that yeah so what would you say is the distinction between childish and childlike what would you say the distinguish Distinguish, distinguishing. <laughs> get, the fire distingu- get the fire distinguisher. Distinct, <laughs> distinction. Fire distinguisher. <laughs> That's the teacher and me throwing it back onto you. Uh, okay. Childish and childlike. I want words for it. I know it. 
promise you that as every student has ever promised i know it when i see it um I just forgot oh i just forgot <laughs> yeah i think childish is at least used pejoratively mm-hmm. like you said like of no thought of no substance of no reason right whereas childlike is used joyously that's the, the first word in my head is joy yep I think you're right there with it. Like the childlike is a trusting, joyful, pure. The childish is one that is immature. Um, and so I think you can, again, when you see a grown adult being childish, we usually frown on that or there's something off with that. But I think you can be a grown man and be childlike while still having responsibilities and having to get your stuff done. But to be childlike, to be trusting, again, my kids will jump off the stairs into my arms, which dear God, let me catch them. (laughs) You know, they don't, there's no second thought of like, Oh yeah, dad will catch me. And they just go. So the absolute trust that we lose, I think as we get older, maybe we get cynical. The challenge of, of having a pure and joyful faith, despite what life throws at us. I think, I think the word you said cynical and that's funny because that's just the word that's in my head. The idea, I think childlike is almost, it's because people always say like that means you're not going to question everything, but they clearly have never interacted with a child because a child questions everything. Oh, yes. Every little thing is why or how or whatever it is. And they just you can see them like even as a baby when they're looking around in the room, they're investigating everything. But it's free of that cynicism of the world where it's they're not it's a questioning of everything while at the same time trusting that the answers are good and like the answers are out there, whereas as we get older, our questions become cynical and we intentionally ask questions to outsmart people or to prove our own points. We like phrase questions in the way you can always tell like it's the most annoying people to debate with when they're only asking questions that they're trying to like guide you closer to their point instead of just asking like, I want to know the answer to this. Yeah. And I'll listen to you. Yeah. And that's a kid like that. So I would say it's the questioning of everything out of curiosity, completely free of all cynicism. And I think Mary exemplifies that for the Christian because here's a a woman of great purity who questioned, how can this be? I have not known a man yeah. when the angel reveals the mission ahead, but then has the trust to, to act. And when she's very pregnant, she embarks on a journey over this mountainous hillside to go see her cousin, Elizabeth, and John the Baptist leaps in her womb. Just that trust of like, instead of just staying put, when God puts it on her heart to move, she moves. She will ask questions, but is not, doesn't have her arms folded and says, well, I'm not going to make a move unless I know everything. Because I think that's where a lot of people are today is like, I need to have absolute intellectual everything before I'll believe. It's like, you won't ever arrive there. If God is who he says he is, we can never comprehend it. So there's a point where we have to move without all the information. The kid has to trust. We're going to the park. We're going to the pool. We're going to Disney. We're going whatever the how you don't fully know you just you gotta get in the car and we'll go i think that there is a bit of and you touched on a fearlessness to being childlike yeah like you said they jump off the stairs trusting that you will catch them that's so beautiful like you ever see or even like those videos where it's a dog and he's like really scared to jump but then the owner catches him the first time and immediately they just go back and start jumping and that trust of uh, are we taking and i i hate whenever things come back to like leap of faith analogy. I don't I don't want that, but just that of it's 
it is hardest the first time and when you're trying to get involved in it but i'm sure as you guys can attest after years of it it does get easier to trust yeah because the leap is not a blind leap into unrational territory my father has shown himself worthy to be trusted God has given me evidence to trust him to leap. I have caught my kids at least one or two times before for them to say, hey, dad's got, he's going to do it again, even though you're heavier now and you're jumping weirder angles and jumping right at my crotch. And I, you know, it's like, you have shown yourself trustworthy. This is why I'm jumping. What's that? The song, do it again, where it says, you've, it's just like the whole crux of the song is like, you've never failed me yet. And like, just that, that trust that's like, I have no reason to not think that you're going to not catch me because it, it's that eternal relationship of us. God gives us an answer to something and we may not understand it. We may not, we may be afraid of the demands that it caused us, caused us, but yeah, it was beautiful. Just Mary, yeah, she immediately questions. She says, how is this possible? But then she doesn't go like, well, what does that mean? Like, and then what does that mean for me? And then I'm going to get in trouble now. It's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, sounds good. She responds with that faith. And I think that that is something that we all need to take from a a note from is that idea of that childlike faith, because God essentially has first and foremost revealed himself to be father to us. And what that essentially means is either we are God's little kids or we're nobody. And like we can't we can't have a relationship with him unless we have that first understanding that God is our father and we are his children. And that's a real thing. That's not a nice flowery metaphor. If God is who he says he is, he is not just nebulous force, the universe man. Yeah. (laughs) He is not uh, overlord. He is father. Like that, that is when we, when we internalize that and start really maybe trusting and believing it, it's like, whoa, that's a big deal. He knows me by name. He, he's shown himself to be trustworthy. And it doesn't mean life will be free of suffering. Life will be free of any kind of pain or agony. You can look at the cross and what Jesus had to go through to be like, yeah, it's not all rainbows and butterflies here. It's But God has shown himself a trustworthy father. Yeah, and I'm sure we're going to go through many times throughout this podcast of reasons for why, you know, the argument for against God, the most common is the argument from suffering. But I mean, and there's there's... There's no like definitive answer for it, but there are slivers of it everywhere if you say. And just think about it, what kind of a parent would you be if you withheld all sufferings from your kids? If you never let them play sports because of fear of getting hurt, you never let them play sports for being for fear of losing or like yeah. someone else being better than them or whatever it is. If you, I never took the training wheels off the bicycle, yeah, they're the, gonna fall. What kind? Yeah, what kind of what kind of parent would you actually be? A terrible parent. And so, what kind of parent would God be to us? Is if he, his primary role is just to keep us safe. Yeah. I think that there's a, a big push right now called uh, anti-fragile is the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it. resilience. So and Yeah, so it's there are some things that get weaker when exposed to trauma and some things that aren't affected and some things that get stronger. And so the, our immune system is the best example being you get sick and then your immune system gets stronger. So it's the same thing with kids where it's like we have to suffer in certain ways in order to learn and then we do get better from it. And oh, yeah. there's a lot... I would, uh, Jonathan Haidt has a lot of good uh, information on it. He's not the one who wrote the anti fragile. Mm. But no, he wrote, his new book is The Coddling of the American Mind. Mm. Don't even get me started on how coddled the American mind is. (laughs) But he goes even into like peanut allergies, like quantifiably why babying, I'm air quoting babying, our kids isn't doing them any favors. 
go and check this information to make sure I'm not, you know, misrepresenting anything. I'm on the computer right now. So far, so good. Eddie <laughs> is fact checking as we speak. Uh, but what he talks about with the peanut allergies, to my understanding, is they did a study where they took kids who were prone to a peanut allergy. So like genetically, they're more likely to get it. So they took that group of kids and then they segmented it into ones whose mothers had peanuts while they were pregnant and then fed the kids peanuts, you know, however long thereafter, and then ones who didn't. And the rate was, it was like 27% of the kids who weren't exposed to peanuts had an allergy and like 2% of the ones who were exposed had developed an allergy. Mm -hmm. So the idea of protecting them is not helping them long-term. It'd be funny if we did like, when you're, when you're editing, we like say every time one of us says fact check, you just like interject in the editing and be like, fact checked it and then do like a, <laughs> or like a, <laughs> bing. That's funny. <laughs> like correct good. it and then be like, hey, back with the episode. <laughs> I like that you put your hand over the mic. Yeah. <laughs> as if it would stop recording yeah. or stop like hearing us. Cover your, cover your ears. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's all, that's all of humanity, right? We, whenever you baby somebody, it's just not, nothing good comes out of it. And I think, I don't really have that many thoughts. I think that that I had never heard of that peanut allergy thing, but I think that that is it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. You know, yeah, you're exposed to it, and you we see like what can happen to the human body when it's not exposed Challenged. to challenge. Yeah, yeah. The it's an interesting book. So if anyone wants to read it, uh, Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt, The Coddling of the American Mind: How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. So it's it's not bad intentions to want to protect, but it's not preparing. And I'd argue, like, to bring it back to the, the first question, I think Mary's not protected. Like, she is by her sanctity, but she has to live in occupied territory by the Romans. She has to deal with having to flee with Joseph to Egypt for a long period of time. Like, she's not immune to hardships. So you talk about, like, a hardy woman who watched her own son grow and suffer and have to die. And yet was still the childlike, had still that, that faith, that trust in God throughout the whole thing. And modern examples like G.K. Chesterton, who was like a giant of a man. He was like over six feet and pretty obese. But <laughs> joy, like questioning, would argue with everyone, but had such a great faith and was like a big child, like a, like a child and a very large man. And I, I like highly, he ate a child. Yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend that anybody reads the book Orthodoxy, which when we see the title, we think like, this is going to be a really boring book. It's difficult to read because he's such a profound writer. I highly recommend just every time you read a chapter, just immediately reread it and it'll come alive for you. It's not that long, right? It's, just, you know, it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty short book. Yeah, it's super dense, but it's called Orthodoxy. But like it's, it's about his, it's like his autobiography about how he came to the faith. And it's just so profound. It's all about that childlike faith. He has several quotes about it, but he talks about like he because he loves fairy tales and he's like a huge story guy. And he talks about the whole point of fairy tales is let me see if I, I have the quote right here. But he says he's talking about why we love like learning about like the rivers that run with wine and the apples that are made of gold. And it's really beautiful. He says, uh, I'm just going to pull the quote directly. He says, these tales say that apples were golden only to refresh the forgotten moment when we found out that they were green. They make rivers run with wine only to make us remember for one wild moment that they run with water. And the idea is that when we are kids, when we are young, like 
we love the idea like of a river. It is amazing to us. An apple is green. What's what, what's so special about an apple being gold? Nothing really. Or an apple being a different color. It's only really special because it's different. But like at one point, the apple being green was just as surprising to us. We have that as a child and we lose that as an adult. But fairy tales bring us back to that. Like, uh, and he says, a child of seven is excited by, by being told that Tommy opened a door and saw a dragon. But a child of three is excited by being told that Tommy opened a door. Boys like romantic tales, but babies like realistic tales because they find them romantic. We build up these stories like so-and-so fought a dragon because like at some point when you were young, the, the couch was a dragon. You know, at some point when you were young, climbing a tree was a dragon. The ground is lava. Yeah, the ground was lava at one point. And I think that that is, it's just, it's, it's so profound where he's, and he goes on to talk about like how we are, we've always just, we're small creatures. And he says, people eventually they go on to think like, I'm so futile and small compared to the, the galaxy, the cosmos. And he says, who cares? You were, you're small compared to the nearest tree as a man. Like that already is bigger than you. A house is bigger than you. You don't, we don't, we don't need to look to the cosmos to think of our own insignificance when it comes to the fact that you just go and stand in front of a waterfall and look how much bigger it is than you and grander. And like, even you could even make the argument, the effect that it has on the world compared to you, but all that in a good sense that like, just brings you home to like this idea that questioning everything and being excited by everything. I think that that's so profound. You can look at again, the, that cosmos and either look at it with the lens of futility. I'm insignificant or with the grandeur of, my God, what a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm in it. And God had a role for me to play in it. The cynicism, like the cynic versus the childlike. And that's like 100% with the faith in general is like what brings us the joy in the faith is not that like the idea that we can accomplish great things. It's just the effect that God has given us anything to accomplish. And, you know, we going back to the childlike faith is with we imagine our relationships with our fathers or even just a father figure or even just like a coach. The coach doesn't need you to take the ball bag back to his car at the end of practice. But how honored do you feel as a kid when you can do that and walk with him and carry the ball back ball back for him? You probably are actually slowing him down because you probably are going to stumble or you might trip and fall. You might spill the balls everywhere, whatever it is. But the fact that you're like being a part of it is such a beautiful concept whenever it comes to the faith and like God has given us something to do out of that love for us. There is that same person who's going to cynically look at the universe and feel unimportant, I think might feel that it's almost condescending, like, Oh, here, here's something for you to do. Mm -hmm. You little worthless thing. What would your response be to that? I mean, my gut response would be it's, it's, um, there's a way to look at it as such. I think if, especially if that's your experience of parents, of coaches, of whoever. But I look at my own kids and I know that if they want to help me with dishes, it takes five times longer to do the dishes. But there's a sense of ownership they get out of it. There's a sense of pride with helping out. And there is a delight on my end. Even if I'm like, okay, this now it takes five times longer. There's a delight in seeing them grow and mature and I love them in and through the action, not necessarily for the result, because I'm sure I still have to go back and do the dishes anyway, because they barely, you know, they didn't do it right. But there's a way to look at it cynically, but I think there's, if, if you're looking at it through the lens of a loving father, it is a great participation in it, not just to 
participation trophy. Yeah. Not was just, that, yeah. Was that something that you think you knew before you were a father and then you didn't really get it until you were a father or you I didn't understand it? No, I think I intellectually got it. But I think when you, when God gives you the blessing of becoming a parent, it just intensifies all the more. And you get these little God moments of you're like, okay, this is, now I'm really starting to get it. Like how God could love me in and through the mess, how God could, wants me to trust in him with the same trust these little mutants are giving to me. So I think um, I, I was graced to get to the point where I wasn't cynical. I still was able to, to have that faith, but it is absolutely intensified as a parent, that understanding. Do you think there's anything that gets close to that? Like for someone who is not a parent or f for whatever reason, having a dog or like, is there something you think that could help someone tap into it? If they're like, I, I get it, but I want to experience it. Is there anything that you could recommend? Like, well, I, I mean, I would say tangible? anyone that's involved in mentoring, coaching, mini, like youth ministry, anyone that's like actively trying to help the next generation, you are actively banging your head against the wall, watch and, and also feeling the delight when they do show growth and they do show any kind of comprehension, leveling up, any kind of trust in you that you're going to get them. And whenever they buy into what you're saying, there is a sense of like, okay, now I can work with this. Yeah. And I, I do think like kind of going back to your question a little bit about, is it just, is God condescending? Is he just kind of playing with us? Is he just bored? And so he's like, here, let's have, let's see if he can do this job or not. And I think that just always boils back down to, do we believe that we are created out of love or not? And I think that's why the childlike faith is so important because a child would never think that. A child would never think like she wants me to carry the ball bag because he's a lazy yeah. jerk or he's uh he just wants to watch me crawl or whatever it is. Like that's not the way it is. And it's uh or like, you know, you can think of like a father like you said with the dishes or a father helping you carry a couch, like you helping your dad carry a couch or whatever it is, that's not the way a child views things. And I think that that's why it's so essential for the faith like it, it is so essential for the faith and i think that it's even it's essential for god himself i think that god is also childlike in that sense where he never gets bored of anything yeah. because we we get we get bored of of the monotony of life and things and he he doesn't like a kid doesn't get bored of the monotony of life i, I was at from did i talk about oh see in another episode i talked about cymc catholic youth ministers convention in arizona for that's put on by life team i was at it this year and uh, someone was given a talk about the concept ever ancient, ever new that we talk about with God. But if you look at that original Greek, it's the same word for young. God is ever ancient, ever young. He always is living in that youthful self of like being young and free and having those desires to bring it back to Chesterton again is this quotes a little bit long. So I'm just going to break it up for you, break it up because I, I won't even be able to pay attention for the whole thing. But uh, he's talking about like how we sin has made us old and like dull and boring while God is able to say like, even though he is completely ancient, he is younger than we are. He has the mind of, of the youth better than we do because we think of like the, the world being monotonous of like the sun rising again. And like a flower is the same flower. It builds more of the same flowers. And he goes on to talk about like how like beautifully, like we think like, why is it that this flower keeps making the same flower over and over again as it's pollinated? And he says, Maybe God is not bored of making a rose. Like we get bored of roses. God doesn't get bored of roses. He 
wants roses to make more roses because he loves roses or he does like and he says like it's not that though i'm, I'm gonna say this he said i'm gonna pull this part directly it says the repetition in in nature may not be a mere reoccurrence it may be a theatrical encore he is like giving himself he's like i want this to happen again he talks about like a baby when when you play pick with a baby the baby's like oh do it again do it again or when uh you pick up a baby you throw him in the air not not a baby baby but like a young person you, you throw him into the air and catch them and they're like oh, Eddie. <laughs> i got a lot to learn <laughs> they're like do it again do it again or they see a magic trick they're like again and they don't really care so much about how it happens they just want to see it happen and that's what he says that's what god says to his creation every day he says to the sun do it again he says to the moon do it again he never gets dull of any of that or bored of any of that. And he's remains forever young. And that is so crucial to his life. And that's why he is so, he's so beautiful. We need to reflect that in our own. And it's difficult for us because sin makes us boring. Sin makes us old in spirit. You could say. I think we pride ourselves, especially as Americans in, in being independent and in not having to be dependent on another. And we can have this illusion of, even though I did not give myself my own life, my own health, we, we somehow think we're autonomous and we don't really need God in that sense. Like we've, we've graduated beyond needing God in the fatherly way. I tip my hat at God a couple hours a week, but that utter dependence like that child has on their parent, we kind of fight against that. And I think to reclaim a childlike faith is reclaiming I'm dependent on God and I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm happy with that. And what a father I have who wants me to participate in life, use my gifts, use my talents, but also wants me to trust. One of my favorite stories of Pope John the 23rd was an aide heard him before he would go to bed and he would pray and he'd say, he'd stop and be like, all right, Lord, it's your church. I'm going to bed. <laughs> like there's times where you, you can, you are not the savior. You can't fix X, Y, or Z. You can't change people you just have to say all right god they're yours i'm going to bed and and have joy that we're dependent on a father who knows us and loves us and i think mary is such a great example of how do we live that out i'm a, i'm a guy that lord here's my gifts and here's my talents and you can have my life and i've changed careers for god a couple times for me it's like the finances though i've always had a kind of like let me have this like you lord you can have 98 percent of my life just let me keep my bank account over here. I trust you, God, but not over here. Just let me keep, you know, have a hefty thing. And I'll, I'll, I'll speak for you. I will, I will teach, you know, I considered the priesthood for a while. I was like, uh, and it really was my wife that helped me understand like that to get to that point that it's still kind of my like Achilles heel of total trust. Part of that is I think as a man, you want to, you feel responsible for your family. And, and part of that is prudence. And part of that is like wanting to, provide in case of an emergency that's that's a wise thing to do but then that can teeter into greed and being stingy with being generous financially when we're called to be detached even when it comes to there so for me that childlike trust i do it in some areas really well in some areas i got i still have room to to grow i think when lent comes around and it's like prayer and fasting like for some people the fasting is the big hurdle for me the almsgiving is kind of my personal like okay i i trust you god how much how much do i really trust you i trust you this much dollars worth yeah. <laughs> i trust you a quarter and god's like give me a break yeah <laughs> i think i was reading a book a little while ago and then i only read like the first chapter to be honest i don't even remember what it was called and i lost it so 
Sucks for you, <laughs> author of that book. But it was, it was. He already made uh, the sale. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> and I think my spiritual director let me borrow it. So, oh for three on that one. But it was he was just talking about like, what does it mean to be a disciple of God, and what can we actually give to Him? We all we always like to say like, God, I want to give you these these gifts. I want to give you. And I'm extrapolating from what he was saying a little bit, but it's like, I want to give you this, this, I want to give you my speaking ability. I want to give you my teaching ability. I want to give you my, my hands to do these works. I want to give you my faith. And he's like, none of those belong to you. You don't even have the option to really give them to God because the money's God's, the gifts are God's that he gives to you. The only thing that we really can offer to God is a complete and total surrender to him. That free will that he gave to us can we give that back to him mm. to use the gifts that he has also given to us in the way that he sees fit? And I remember just being like, dang, that completely. Because, like, there's times in my life where I like, I want to work on this virtue. Well, what if God doesn't want you to work on that virtue right now? Like, the only thing you have the option to do is, like, I surrender to your will, God. If you want me to work on this right now or work on that right now or be this perfect right now or go to this position or whatever it is. That's the only thing is it's cooperation. Everything else is it's almost pride to say like, God, I want to give you my ability to teach. Well, God says, well, maybe I don't want your ability to teach right now. Maybe I want you to go be a monk somewhere, which again, probably not happening. But uh, you get the point that I'm trying to make. That was that was exactly the note that I made. Give what the other person wants to receive, not what you want to give. Hashtag love languages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are we giving just what we're comfortable to give or are we actually thinking about who is receiving this and what would make them happy? This is uh, what's that from when they're, it's like a mom talking about Mother's Day. Homeward and bound. Maybe. An incredible <laughs> journey. Uh, but when she's saying like the kids ask, mom, what do you what do you want for Mother's Day? I, I just want everyone to be here. Come like, let's share a meal. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to get you a sweater or we're going to go to the movies or we're going to do it. I'm just I just, I want to be with you guys, but it's like, that doesn't feel like enough. Like we want to give something when all she's asking for was just your presence. Uh, and that's just what I'm thinking of here. What does he actually want of us? And is that what we're giving? Him? And sometimes go, to expand that Mother's Day analogy, sometimes it's the one thing we don't want to give. We're like, mom, I will buy you whatever you want, but like, don't make me spend all day with you. Like, <laughs> don't make me spend all day with the family, yeah. you know? And that, but again, that's the one thing that we want. And anything else is pride, ultimately not going to be genuine. The surrender, again, I think of Mary, again, surrendering her will. It wasn't about, sure, you can have my womb. Like, yeah. I'll have your baby. <laughs> Fine, God. <laughs> I guess. You get nine months. That's it. <laughs> you know, it, but it was the, the total surrender. My plans, my ideas, my, what I thought, where I thought life was going. Okay. Yeah, because her whole life was changed. Yep. Yeah. So in little and big ways, I think it's figuring out how do we become dependent in a good way? How do we grow in childlike faith? How do we put that trust into action? which we're all on the journey together, figuring it out. Well, I already figured it out, but yeah, we're all <laughs> catching up to Eddie. So. He's the most childlike out of all. Of <laughs> what a childish comment. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that's it, right? Okay. Well, thanks for listening. If you're still here until next time. See you. And I'll remember, I will be with you to the end of days with you till the end of recording. <laughs> <laughs> See you. <ya. laughs>